This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. Welcome to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program. My co-hosts, Mike Yuseem and Ann Greenhall, are with me virtually as we are taping this via Zoom. Before we begin, I want to remind you that new episodes of our show premiere every Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern, here on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. With that, let me say hello to Mike and Ann. Hello. Hey. Jeff, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Great to see you. Great to be here with you and Mike. I, uh, you know, normally this is such a, a, a joyous occasion and reunion, um, but I'm looking around and, you know, here we are on Zoom. Obviously, our, our listeners can't see the little windows into your lives that I can see, but Mike, you seem to be... You have a lot of photos and and just kind of over your back shoulder there. What what I can tell is a lot of photos of a lot of mountains, it looks like. Um, Give give us a little window into where you are, Mike, as you you broadcast live. You know, Jeff, uh, mountains are a metaphor. And just remind me uh, of that uh, factoid. I do have a couple of photos there of of people hiking on, in one case, Kilimanjaro. Another case, uh, the Grand Teton Mountain in Wyoming. And then we got a, a group of people that we uh, are kind of mid-career managers that we took to the Zermatt area around the Matterhorn a year or two ago. And there they are looking very happy. All right. All right. And Anne, I, I spend most days with you on a variety <laughs> of you know video conference calls. You seem like you might be in a new spot. <laughs> I am. I, uh, I am. My, I, Mike and Jeff, I am in my attic because it's the one room in the house where I can uh, sequester myself and also, as you know, Mike and Jeff, not be backlit by a big window that sits behind my secretary in the family room. And now that you've asked the question, just as the mountains behind Mike give a, a little view into Mike, so does the attic because, you know, attic. The attic is a literary trope, and it is often the location of imagination and memory. So I think it's actually quite appropriate that I am here today with you and Mike and our guest in the attic. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Um, I, I, I think it, I find it more and more important. We all know we're, we're largely at home, but I find it right. more important just to locate us in the home these days. <laughs> and where are you, Jeff? Uh, I'm in the basement. So, <laughs> Look at that. Hi, um, Pamela. And the, the nicest thing uh, that happened before all of this quarantine is we had decided to replace the carpet. And so it it has a kind of cozier feel down here. So I'm, and Mike, are you on the second floor? I'm on the second floor, and that pretty much completes. We got something <laughs> at the very high level, the apex of leadership that's Anne. A tear uh, down, and then Chuff, I guess, has been assigned to the basement. So just, yeah, I, there you go. <laughs> I like to think of myself as the foundation. Of 
<laughs> Very good. And we know we can lead from each position, right? We know that. I, I, I feel like there's a, there's a whole new show coming. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we better get to our guest. Yeah. <laughs> Leader, leadership from the second floor office. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think as we... Um, you know, as we get into the conversation that we want to have today, um, I, I do have a, a quick question for you guys, and, um, and and I think it'll help to set up the discussion that we're going to have here. You know, we've talked so much about uh, about the ways in which experiences inform uh, our leadership now. And I wonder, as for both of you, as you're, you know, helping lead the school, helping lead organizations, um, what experiences are, are you drawing on or what lessons from the past are you drawing on that, that are helping each of you, Mike and Ann, um, in today's environment? Ann, go ahead. I'll start right, with you yeah. if I can, Ann. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, I have to admit that I've been very in influenced by past shows. In fact, Mike, a show I think that you hosted once with Howard Kunruther, who is our local expert on risk. And Howard had a little um, moral at the end of his show, and that was simply to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So I have to admit that that has uh, guided my thinking as we have been in, you know, in COVID-19. And Jeff, I got two quick thoughts. One comes from a discussion yesterday with a person who runs a, a large firm. And uh, she said that among other things, I really like this, she holds a daily top management team meeting by Zoom or Blue Jeans, I forget which now, every day, all week, seven days a week. The only exception was Easter Sunday. The point she makes is that everybody's into it. Everybody needs to swap a lot of data about it and everybody's been rising to the occasion. The other small factoid I came on yesterday, uh, apparently it's a well-kept secret, and maybe our producer Patty knows this, that in radio, if you're at a remote location, your best voice is uh, communicated over um, like a telephone if you're in a closet with clothes around you. Uh, apparently that, that's a small factoid, not a big deal, but uh, it is a statement that if you're, uh, you can't do this with your Zoom, but you can do it with phone, uh, it seems to have the best voice reproduction. So there you are, Jeff. That's my fact of the day. All right. Well, you know, when, when we get together next Friday morning, I'm going to expect to see just clothes cascading all around you, Mike. Yeah, I thought I'd mention that. I might do that. All right. Well, I am. Thank, thank you for that. Um, and... And I, I ask that question because as we welcome our guest for this week's show, Maresh Karunde, um, you know, this is um, an unprecedented time. Mm -hmm. Yet there are still lessons that we can, and experiences that, that we can all draw upon um, as we think about how to lead our teams, how to lead our organizations, how to lead our communities. Um, through COVID-19. Um, and, and, and Mahesh, as Mike, you and, you and Ann know, has had experience leading organizations um, for many years and, and through many uh, difficult scenarios. So I, I, 
I'm, go I'm going to intentionally leave it a little vague there. Um, and, and let's first welcome Mahesh on to the show. So Mahesh, how are you today? Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, it's great to be uh, on the show chatting with you guys. Uh, as you know, I graduated from Wharton. So it's kind of yes. nice to come back and talk uh, to you guys, uh, you know, in terms of where you guys have taken the whole concept of leadership. Uh, I mean, Mike's a legend. Uh, you know, he taught my class. Uh, but I think uh, it's it's really great to actually chat with you guys this morning. All right, and 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 just to let you join our little constellation appropriately here, Mahesh, which room in the house did you choose? <laughs> you know, as you guys were talking about that, um, you know, I was wondering how I could be a little bit different. But Jeff, I'm right there with you at the foundation in the basement. The only difference is that it's it's a really nice walkout basement, so I could get out of the foundation if I really needed to. All right, <laughs> say that. That's the kind of scenario planning and, and contingency work that that's necessary. Exactly. Like exactly. Uh, Mahesh, let, let me say a couple of words about you to introduce you to our uh, listeners, and then we'll be excited to get into. Uh, this conversation here today. So Mahesh, you are the president and CEO of Omega Therapeutics, which is an early stage biotech company working to regulate gene activity to treat or cure diseases. Uh, you've had a, a long successful career in the biopharma industry, um, most recently president and CEO of Macrolide Pharmaceuticals, and then several assignments with Novartis, uh, here in the U.S. and uh, within their international business. So I, I want to ask the question that we traditionally ask, the first, the first thing that is on everybody's mind uh, as we talk to our listeners, and that is if we took Mahesh back to, let's say, the age of the high school seniors who are adapting and um, trying to have a different graduation experience, everything else, did Mahesh then think that Mahesh now is the CEO of a biopharma organization? <laughs> that's, that's a really great question. Um, so to answer it very simply, the Mahesh then would not even recognize the Mahesh now uh, because that was definitely not in plans. I mean, in fact, being a CEO of a biopharma company, I don't think was sort of in my plan per se, even five years ago, but being in the biopharma world or the medical world was really not on my plans back then. Uh, I was very squarely focused on being an engineer and, mm -hmm. you know, um, studying engineering and, you know, working as an engineer. Um, uh, back then, and you, you kind of have to go back to sort of the genesis of that as well. You know, back then, uh, if you were halfway, I grew up in India, and it was a very different India from today, right? Back then, when you, uh, if you were halfway smart in sciences, you either became a doctor or an engineer. I had two older sisters who basically were studying medicine. So I decided that I needed to be an engineer, and that was as simple as that. Uh, so no, I, I don't think uh, that mesh would recognize this mesh at all. I mean, plus, of course, I look very different. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we as you think then back 
you know, upon the early parts of your career, what drew you into this kind of work? And uh, what, what, what drew you towards, um, you know, pharmaceuticals, biopharma, licenses, that, that, that kind of a career? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I, I, as I started my sort of post-education, if I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a trained engineer, I got a master's degree uh, and started working as an engineer and then realized that I needed to do something different because, you know, I very quickly realized engineering was not for me. So um, I applied and I got an opportunity to actually attend Wharton, which completely transformed my life. And post Wharton, uh, you know, I uh, was fortunate enough to join consulting, which kind of gave me a little bit more time to really think about what I wanted to do. And when I was in consulting, um, you know, I was in the New Jersey office of uh, McKinsey and Company. And by virtue of that, by being in New Jersey, you know, you kind of get to work in pharmaceutical, uh, on pharmaceutical projects, because that's sort of the hotbed of pharmaceutical. Although being an engineer, I was working mostly on tech and telecom projects. And when I decided to leave McKinsey, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I had opportunities to go into tech, telecom, or pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I talked about my sisters earlier, right? And I think my dad as well worked in the pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, most of his life. So that industry was very familiar to me. As I worked in it, I realized that it was high innovation. Um, and there was something a little bit more. Look, I mean, you know, uh, I, at that point, I, I was not focused on, you know, patience or anything like that. I was just trying to figure out what I liked. But there was something about this industry which made it very different. It felt good to work in. Over the years, I've realized why I actually like the industry a lot. But I think what drew me to it was the tremendous amount of innovation that happened uh, in the industry. Uh, and, and, you know, another thing was, um, you know, what I realized is as, as long as we all live, medicines are needed, right? And I think there will be constant innovation. So that's really what drew me to this industry in the beginning. I really appreciate that, Mahesh. And I remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein. I'm joined by my good buddies, Mike Yusim and Ann Greenhall. And our guest today is Mahesh Karunde, who is the president and CEO of Omega Therapeutics. Ann, over to you. Yeah. Oh, Mahesh, thank you so much for sharing your uh, background. I understand you to say that you earned a master's degree in engineering. And then what, what inspired you then to go on for your MBA? You know, so uh, as, you know, I came to America in 94, uh, you know, uh, to, with, a, with a scholarship to study, to do a PhD in engineering. And, you know, I was fully focused on that. You know, I came to Georgia Tech. And as I went through my uh, coursework and, you know, the research project that I was working on, I realized that although engineering sort of in India was this very hallowed, you know, thing, like I said, um, you know, here there was a lot more opportunity. I didn't see myself fitting into an engineering sort of PhD academic track, right? Mm -hmm. So I got out and, you know, I did a master's, got out and said, let me think about what I really like. And as I was working in a, in a 
in a, a, a in a firm i was doing engineering work but very quickly got to do some project management work and you know deep south uh, I, I used to work with uh, i was in my early 20s and i used to work with uh, you know people who were at least twice my age and i used to work with you know contractors and uh, you know people who would sort of be in the construction industry as well right and as I looked at that, I realized that what I actually like is working with people. And I like sort of the business aspects of it. So the project management aspects, as much as I could get exposed to in engineering, were the things that actually interested me. And then as I started, for the first time in my life, I really stepped back and started thinking, what is it that I really want to do? And, you know, as I started talking to people, uh, and, you know, uh, luckily met some really good people who sort of guided me and mentored me at that time. And then I realized that I think I might actually want to get some formal education in business to really figure out where is it that I actually want to land. Um, so th that's really how, uh, you know, how all of this came about. Very good. Maybe just one more from me, then over to Mike. When you came to Wharton, did you have a specific area of concentration that you really wanted to hone? Not really. I mean, <laughs> one yeah. of the things that I'll, you know, I'll admit very openly is the two yeah. years at Wharton were amazing because they taught me things that I had no idea about, right? Uh, I literally had no exposure to a lot of management theory, et cetera, in, uh -huh. in, in an engineering consulting world. So I came you know, uh, with a completely open mind, an open book to figure out what it is that I would like to do. I mean, I thought that I would actually go back into sort of the construction industry, mm. uh, you know, with a management degree and do better things. That's kind of what I came in with. But very soon I came in and I looked at all my classmates yeah. uh, and the amazing things people had done and, and sort of the whole world opened up for me in terms of uh, an ability to pick and choose. So no, I, I didn't come with any preconceived sort of focus uh, or anything like that. Oh, that's wonderful. Mike. Mahesh, uh, great to have you on the program. And I'm going to pick up on the thread that Anne got us going on, kind of your own evolution. You began as a, a person focused in engineering, then consulting, and now you run uh, Omega Therapeutics. Uh, and to give that kind of a sharp edge in the, in the form of my question, as you became president and chief executive, two-sided question here, uh, what turned out to be kind of surprising? You had seen a lot before that, but as you became chief executive, new demands upon you, what seemed um, unexpected, I'll put it that way. And then the second side to that same question is, what did you think going in was going to be true that turned out not to be the case? So Mahesh, there it is. <laughs> That's a great question, Mike. Uh, so, uh, you know, fortunately for me, uh, you know, I uh, worked at Novartis prior to sort of taking the chief executive role. And, you know, again, fortunately, I was able to uh, run businesses fairly independently, uh, you know, just by the virtue of obviously distance from the mothership or headquarters in Switzerland, but also the fact that, you know, uh, country presidents and, you know, owners, leaders of businesses had a fairly good broad leeway. But what actually was different about being a chief executive is when I was at Novartis and running businesses, there was a very set path that was above me. 
And we were kind of executing on that path. Now you had opportunity to obviously innovate and do good things and drive business. That was my job in the countries that I was running or the region that I ran. But a direction and a path was really set. Uh, when I came in as the chief executive, I think very quickly, um, one of the things that I uh, realized in you know, the first couple of board meetings is that the board is looking to me to actually set the direction uh, as opposed to executing on a given direction. And I think what I also realized that a good chief executive really sets the direction and brings the board along. I think that was a big learning for me. Um, and, you know, so sort of the other side of that is what then did pan out like I expected. That is exactly what, what you know, what, I mean, I, I suspected that. Uh, and, you know, look, I mean, even when I was running uh, the different business in Novartis, you know, the, the position of the view I always took was, look, I own this and I will be able to tell people even above me what is the direction we need to go in, right? But that became even more true when I came to, uh, you know, uh, came into these jobs as a, as a president and CEO, because there they absolutely rely on you for that. So I think that was, you know, that that was an, that was sort of the other side of the car. Not only were they looking for it, that is what they really expect. And there is really no path. You are the one who's creating the value. You are the one who's actually driving the strategy. Mahesh, that was the difference. Let, let me intervene on that, uh, an immediate question. Uh, for some people, that's going to scare the living daylights out of them <laughs> on their own. you, you got to set the agenda. Uh, it's up to you. So what, uh, again, reflecting on your own evolution from the person you were a few years back to now running uh, this company, what, what helped give you the confidence that you could chart that path? Uh, what gave you the confidence that you could get people to go with you once you said what that path was? So where'd that come from? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's, that's really a great question, Mike. And you know, uh, one that I say kind of, uh, you know, get asked by people who sort of uh, look at me, you know, uh, as a mentor once in a while. And, you know, I mean, I can give you sort of what I feel uh, worked. Look, I mean, I think one of the most important things really is as you develop yourself and your experience, right? What I found to be very helpful, what I, I naturally did was I was never fixated on a particular uh, path or a particular title, you know, sort of a fixed path, right? I was, I generally knew where I wanted to go. And like I said earlier, it was not to be a chief executive or anything, because I, I didn't even dream of that even four years ago. But I kind of knew that I wanted to grow in business. Um, what I did was I, I was able to just, you know, build on broad experiences and when opportunities came my way, I really vetted them for the absolute of what they provided me at that point. And I didn't worry too much about, you know, what is that big path? As long as I knew I was going in the right direction, right? I, I think that is one of, the, one of the key things that I did. So, you know, you get a broad set of experiences because when you are, you know, when you are at the top of any organization, right? You're pretty much lonely and you kind of have to draw on your experiences. There is no, there are no shortcuts there, right? Uh, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing was, you know, uh, what I realized is, look, I mean, people are, you know, uh, people in the business world, you know, if I'm talking about Wharton grads or others, I mean, 
most of the people are ambitious and want to do well, right? I think the other thing that I realized is along with ambition, ambition can be looked at as a bad word sometimes, right? I mean, it's, the way I look at ambition, it's a, it's a burning desire to do well and succeed, not only for yourself, but for the, for the organization that you're leading. But along with that has to come tremendous humility, which is, look, I don't really know everything. And that, uh, you know, that humility and, you know, uh, that vulnerability is what actually helps you learn. And, you know, I kind of stumbled into that, uh, that, you know, I was always happy to really learn from people above me, around me, or sort of below me in an organization, because people have really good ideas and you got to hear them. At the end of the day, you have to make the decision because you are the one who is accountable eventually, right? But that humility was very important. And then, you know, once you do that and focus on getting the experiences rather than on a, on a particular path or a title or something like that and don't over-engineer it too much, I think you should be pretty good. That, that's kind of how it, it happened for me. So, Mahesh, just a, a quick comment by me and then back to Jeff. We've heard from others almost exactly what you've said now in, in well, in several particulars, but one I want to draw out, and that is, as you've looked at your career progression, uh, we're all ambitious. We want to do more. We want to change the world. But very important to look at it incrementally. we got to get this job done. So we may one day, in a big sense, aspire to be a chief executive, but it is so important. You've just said it to get today's job done that will get you to the next step. So one, one rung at a time. Absolutely. And, and then just to reinforce the other part, we've heard this from many people as well. In this day and age, it may be different now from 20 years ago, uh, bringing, bringing yourself into the room with your people as a person who is thoughtful, but also vulnerable. Uh, you know a lot, you don't know everything. I've just heard that as well. Uh, today, we are talking to Mahesh Karunde, who is the president and CEO of an early-stage biotech company called Omega Therapeutics. Mahesh is also a graduate of the Wharton School, uh, so we know in advance he's got to be a good guy. Uh, <laughs> we have been talking about a lot of the, the formative experiences, both your education, Mahesh, as well as um, what you were learning as you took over the leadership of you know, a variety of business units with Novartis, as well as your executive positions, uh, including your current one as president and CEO of Omega Therapeutics. I, I wonder, Mahesh, as you think about leading right now in today's world, where we've, we've had so much disruption, um, both to our daily lives, as well as to organizational plans and strategies and um, teams, what are some of the experiences that you've had in the past that you find yourself really drawing upon now? Um, <laughs> that's actually great. You know, when COVID-19 hit and when uh, sort of we, uh, you know, uh, as a country in early March, we sort of started seeing the initial stages of shutdown. I, um, I literally, you know, sort of thought in my head, wow, here we go again. Mm -hmm. Because... Um, uh, you know, because interestingly, uh, in my career, I've been sort of blessed, I would say, to deal with, um, you know, some very interesting crises 
that you know many people probably uh, haven't had an opportunity to do and you know uh, sort of sequentially so yeah. interestingly when you know when i first took charge of egypt uh, with novaris um, that was in 2013 it was after the you know arab spring and things were sort of on the on the mend i mean egypt politically was still a challenge and you know 6 months into my job uh sort of a second revolution or you know the topic of the government happened and sort of the morsi government fell and the entire country went into chaos right so i think mm-hmm. um you know and then we had to manage egypt through that you know i suddenly found the responsibility of you know all of the approximately 2000 plus employees for novaris in egypt on my shoulders and you know mistakenly i had thought that i would have answers coming from sort of headquarters uh, and i remember speaking and they were very helpful but you know i remember speaking to the head of corporate security who used to be ex- actually an ex mi6 agent um, mm-hmm. and he he called me and said uh, mate i'm here to help but you're on your own right and oh. we had to work through that situation on our own um um you know and i'm happy to talk about you know what what eventually sort of you know got us uh, got us through that and then then the funny thing is when um uh, after that you know we did really well in egypt and i was actually offered the opportunity to go um, uh, you know and run all of africa which was sort of you know they were establishing a complete new business as a startup opportunity with the deep pockets of novaris and i i obviously took it uh and then literally as i was taking it ebola was rearing its head and soon enough uh you know the entire west africa sort of uh was in the throes of ebola um and you know all of my west african economies were completely decimated um and you know my teams were obviously in peril uh, as you can imagine sales and marketing people going into hospitals or going into doctor's office and just being out and about um and i had to deal with with that um you know so when when i think of existential crises right these were two existential crises that hit the businesses i was running with me being at the top and everybody's eyes from below me as well as above me were on me i mean there was always a team so it's not me who would be responsible for all solutions i i couldn't have come up with solutions alone my team but as the leader of the organization and as sort of the you know sort of at the you know in the neck of the arglas if you if i may uh, everybody was looking and that's exactly uh, what i felt again you know when covid hit but fortunately i was i felt that i was a little bit better prepared to sort of set plans uh, and make sure that the company stayed safe and we delivered on our responsibilities mahesh maybe if i could pick up on that for a moment um you know when you talk about your biography and your history i'm hearing a pattern here on the one hand maybe looking at first for some direction from above and then realizing hey wait a minute the responsibility is on is on me so you know what mike is fond of saying is by the time decisions get to the ceo all the early easy decisions have been made so can you talk a little bit about um what enhanced your decision making now that you're in this particular situation what did you learn that's enhanced decision making yeah so i think um 
you know, what, what I really learned is in, in a situation like this, which nobody has really seen, right? You, you kind of have to get in front of it and, okay. you know, have to be able to communicate at all levels of the organization very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, you know, whether you have a plan already planned out or not. And I think mm-hmm. that level of transparency is what people in the organization really appreciate. I mean, I would appreciate that right? yeah. because nobody knows how to deal with these uh, situations. I mean, with COVID-19, we are in a com- we are in completely uncharted territory. Right. Um, so I think the first thing that, you know, that, that I, uh, you know, f- felt and knew that I should do was communicate very quickly to the team. Um, and, and, you know, I was able to do that with very reliable sort of people at the leadership level. Uh, and, you know, it so happened that I actually happened to be on vacation with my family for spring break in Hawaii. And I actually had a call with my team, my entire team of about 40 people from a parking lot for wow. about 45 minutes where I had to reassure them that, look, we are putting a plan together. First and foremost, start, this was on a Thursday, first and foremost, starting tomorrow, which is Friday, work from home is going to be instated. And then we put a plan together very quickly, which we then started communicating. I think the other thing was, you know, I also realized that I had to get in front of it, not only with transparency and communication, but I had to actually demonstrate, uh, you know, uh, you know, and make sure that the people understood that I really cared. So it's not just a, you know, sort of a, a, a demonstration of some level of empathy, because you do find that, you know, people do end up saying one thing and sort of doing other thing. And it's, yeah. it's cool to actually, you know, sound empathetic, right? But I think the, the, eventually you're looked at, everybody holds you accountable to that. And you, you know, you need to have that real genuine empathy and sort of the plan that we put together, right, reflected that. It reflected the fact that there were some of our, you know, junior, uh, you know, employees and personnel. And I say junior because they're more towards the early part of their career. They live in Cambridge. We are situated in Cambridge. They take public transportation. How are they going to get to work if they are, you know, how if they are uh, lab essential employees, right? Um, uh, you know, because they take public transportation. So how do you actually take care of that? And I think these are the things, you know, so sort of communication, transparency, empathy, you know, everything has to be done with empathy, right? People should realize and believe that, you know, the leadership really cares about them. Yeah. Uh, and you have to, I mean, because this is, again, like I said, existential. God forbid if somebody actually contracts, uh, you know, the virus because of bad policies or, or misguided uh, focus from us, you know, which is sort of keeping business front, but not taking care of your people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, then there are many other things, but these two, I think, are fundamental things to deal with any crisis. And if you do these right, I think people rally because everybody's looking for 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 direction there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, you real, I realized based on what you said earlier, right, that, uh, you know, there's nobody giving direction. You need to jump into it immediately. Mm-hmm. Maybe just one question to follow up then off then to Mike. I you you answered my question so well. I asked you how do you you know how do you get in front? You answered through transparency and communication. You need to demonstrate empathy in that communication. How about uh, dem- or revealing your uncertainty or your vulnerability? Is that part of demonstrating empathy? 
Um, I mean, I think the short answer is definitely yes, because, uh, you know, in, in situations like this, right, I think you, what I realized, first of all, you need to be honest, mm-hmm. right? Transparency also means authenticity and honesty, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be honest. You cannot, you know, f- 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 false sense of bravado doesn't get you anywhere, right? I think that's, that's first thing. And I think, look, people are very, very smart. People have great ideas, right? So, you know, saying, look, I don't have all the answers. I mean, obviously it depends on how you position that, but, you know, making sure that people do realize that, look, I don't have any answers, all the answers today, but we are surely working on a plan that will deliver us through this thing. And then you sequentially follow a plan. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I that that we all know, probably, and I learned is if you put enough smart people on a problem, you will eventually have a solution, right? <laughs> and I think that that's what it is at the end of the day. Very good, Mike. Uh, well, thank you, Anne. Although, Jeff, do you want to break in for a second before I ask a question? Do you mean to mention that this is leadership in action? <laughs> this radio oh, series XM one thirty two. All right. Well, I mean, as, as long as I'm talking, Mike, I will mention that I'm also your host, Jeff Klein, and that I'm here today with Mike Yusim and Anne Greenhall, and we're talking with Maresh Karunde, who is the president and CEO of Omega Therapeutics. But other than that, I think you should take it away, Mike. All right. So, Mahesh, really interested in your experience with Ebola. And here's the question that really comes out of that. Uh, you were probably better prepared by virtue of having seen that in Africa when you were in Egypt than many people as we came into the coronavirus problems. Looking now ahead, uh, it's a bit early to start thinking about how to stop or how to be ready for the next big one that, co- that comes along. But if you could just uh, expand out your thinking a bit about uh, maybe a couple ideas that are emergent during the coronavirus crisis that uh, you will probably want to be mindful once we get out of it to prepare your company, Omega, for the next um, (laughs) crisis or calamity of this kind. So, uh, Mash, just to get it down to the basic, uh, what have you learned so far that you're going to want to have in place? Uh, We don't know what the next big one is going to be, but what do you want to have in place for whatever that may be? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question, right? I mean, I think, um, look, I mean, I think going forward, right, let's, uh, uh, and you know, this might sound very cliched, but we are really entering a completely new normal. Uh, you know, Ebola happened in Africa, um, you know, predominantly. I mean, it spread to a few countries, uh, including America, where there were a couple of cases, right? Um, but it was sort of contained pretty much in Africa. And they've had Ebola come up periodically. And, you know, countries are differentially prepared. They have infrastructure issues, et cetera, right? This is, this is the first time we are facing a, a crisis that is facing the entire world. And I think we, we've got to accept that we are entering a completely new normal. So what that means is, look, memories also fade and, you know, um, uh, you know, things get back to normal. And that, that is the beauty of sort of the human race. And over time, we sort of forget the bad things and we sort of move on with the good things. And I think, you know, sort of normalcy comes back, right? But I think what we need to be, you know, sure of over here is, um, you know, just, I mean, I would say 
codifying what we learned here and having those kinds of contingency plans in place. I mean, I'll give you a couple of very simple examples that, you know, apply to everything, right? I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in many companies uh, in biotech world, right, uh, you kind of are working with, let's say, external vendors, etc., cetera, uh, you know, for, for um, you know, for your, you know, clinical trials, et cetera, that, that could be at various stages. You know, many, many times we don't have any contingency plans because contingency plans take more thinking and contingency plans can involve a little bit of cost, right? Uh, but I think the people who are prepared with some contingency plans, if one sort of vendor or a clinical research organization shut down because they had serious exposure to COVID, if you didn't have a contingency plan that you could switch to somebody else very quickly, you pretty much lost time. And in, in, you know, when you're dealing with a world of startups, early stage company, where you're dealing with you know, limited cash resources, et cetera, that then becomes existential for your company, not even because of the COVID situation at hand, right? I think so contingency planning, which sometimes takes backseat because everybody's focused on saving money, uh, kind of will have to come to the forefront, I think, you know, in a big way. I think the second uh, important thing is, you know, you know, when when things are going well and there's hubris, people, you know, uh, you know, spend. Things are going well, you know, they'll expand their footprints. They will, you know, buy expensive office spaces. I mean, what I'm realizing is, right now, um, you know, Zoom is as effective as several in-person meetings. So, you know, the, the, as, as I think about it, for the future, uh, from a more streamlining of business, you know, you're going to start seeing that the footprints that people create are not necessary. A, a really good collateral benefit coming out of this is, you know, uh, I mean, with, with sort of advent of technology and as generations are changing, you know, working remotely, et cetera, is, has become much more acceptable today. And that, that needs to get more and more acceptable. And you're, you're always going to have people, um, you know, that, that you might want to actually consider remote, uh, you know, working, sort of going into the future as opposed to sort of drawing a line and saying, well, now everybody comes back to work every day. So I think there are many changes that we really need to pick up and, you know, sort of start implementing uh, in, in terms of your, you know, strategic or operational planning so as to really focus on the business at hand as opposed to some of these you know, peripheral things that we get enamored with because of uh, you know, things that, uh, you know, that, that are not sort of uh, important or imminent at that point. And then I'll turn it back to Jeff. As you think about the next four or five years, do you want to pinpoint responsibility for risk management looking ahead? Or alternative that you want a chief risk officer, for example, or alternatively, as some companies have have put it, um, it's the job of the board, of the C-suite, uh, division directors, and so on. Uh, kind, of, kind of two ways to uh, attack the problem. What's your own philosophy on risk management, catastrophic risk management, going ahead? Um, so my, my philosophy, I mean, uh, you know, given the sort of different kinds of organizations that I've belonged to, right, uh, one which is a behemoth, uh, you know, with tremendous resources and tremendous sort of 
ability, you know, and working in the biopharmaceutical industry, risk and uh, compliance and all is really a part of everyday life, right? So, you, and, then, and then belonging to very small organizations where you really need to have lean teams. So I think, uh, you know, so the answer to this sort of lies, you know, it depends on where you lie on that spectrum. But one thing is certain that you have to have a mindset of risk management. That you, you cannot get away from that. So whether it's sort of the CEO and the C-suite, you know, with a periodic sort of risk uh, assessment, uh, you know, uh, sort of business risk assessment, which, you know, some companies, I mean, we, we do that regularly. Uh, do it at the C-suite level and the board level, or you have a really, you know, senior person in charge of it, in addition to his or her responsibilities, or maybe a real risk officer in, in industries other than biopharma, where that really not be a day-to-day -day concern, um, I think is, is paramount because, you know, God forbid you have the next crisis and you are not prepared in an industry which is, you know, which really doesn't have to deal with day-to-day -day risk like the biopharmaceutical industry has to deal with. That's one of the reasons, by the way, I think that the biopharmaceutical industry has also been able to deal with this quickly because you know you kind of have lots of risks, regulatory risks, you have product risks, you have um, you know safety risks, and I think the mindset is there. But I think for every business, you kind of have to get to that mindset, and how you do it really depends on sort of where you lie on that spectrum from small to big. Thanks on that, Jeff. Back to you. Mahesh, I, I want to add one dimension to the conversation that, that we've been having in, in this half of the show. Um, and that is, um, you know, to ask you about leading an organization during a, a time of great economic uncertainty as well. Mm -hmm. We look, the, the jobless claims keep going up and up in this country um, and the forecasts in terms of GDP growth uh, and global trade. Uh, certainly have a, a lot of risk in them. How do you think about that aspect of your leadership uh, as as you manage through these days? Um, look, that's a great question. And you know, fortunately, um, you know, again, industries and people sort of fall along the spectrum there. You know, um, fortunately, uh, you know, biopharma, biotech, pharmaceuticals. Uh, you know, are sort of emerging as heroes in, in this crisis, but they may not in another crisis, right? Um, but I think the way to really manage that, so right now, pharmaceutical, biopharmaceutical companies, biotech companies are doing well. You know, the biotech index is at its 52-week high, right? The stock index. So you could take a view that, well, things are good. You know, investor money is coming in mostly in public markets, whether in private markets. So, hey, you know, I'm not worried, but that would be really, uh, I would say irresponsible because what it really comes down to is making sure, and it kind of piggybacks into that earlier, piggybacks into the earlier question, of that earlier question, which is risk management. You have to make sure that, you know, you use your money and your resources responsibly because I think, you know, we all live in a very connected world. And I think there is, uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, connections that happen, uh, you know, along the value chain of any industry, right? Which you need to optimize and maximize. So for example, in our industry, right? I can spend, just for argument's sake, if I had, you know, 
$1,000, I could shore up my own company just sort of to prepare for some arbitrary future. Or I could decide, look, I really need to make sure responsibly that I'm spending the money well and tight, but I can expand into some other things or do some other service related stuff, which might help other players in the value chain, because I need them to survive as well, you know, for my, my business to do well. And look, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to get into some altruistic of sort of socialistic way of thinking about it, but we are in a connected world. And I think, yeah. you know, we, we, for every business leader, it is extremely important to actually think of that. Uh, so, I mean, I'll give you an example, right? I mean, one of the big things that, you know, I'm actually proud of my company did was, uh, it came from, you know, a, a, one of one of our, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, relatively junior member of the team uh, who came from the service industry. And, you know, we decided, look, the service industry helps us tremendously when times are good, right? And right now, they're the ones who are decimated. So what we did was we actually rallied the entire biopharma industry and Omega Therapeutics took the lead and we actually created a fundraise. So that's the easiest thing you could do, right? Fundraise. Uh, because, you know, and, and we, we rallied other companies and other companies in the sort of biotech world from Boston participated, right? But that's sort of the easiest thing you could do. But now if you start thinking about, you know, businesses, some of the, uh, you know, so people in your value chain who might be suffering now, how do you actually send business their way? Because you are going to need them a year or two years down the line when you start expanding. And if they go away, I don't know how you'll work. I think these are the things that you kind of need to think very smartly from a business standpoint. Mahesh, th thank you so much. And, and, and thank you for really emphasizing the interconnected nature of both organizational life uh, as well as the economy today. I mean, I think point two in terms of thinking about customers, thinking about suppliers, thinking about the communities where businesses uh, are located, right, and the, the necessary vibrancy of those communities um, really paints a broader picture than some of the conversations that we've had on the show over the years, which have been really focused, you know, internally on what you can do within the organization. Um, so first and foremost, Mahesh, let me just say thank you for joining us on the show here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Right. And if yes. if listeners want to learn more about Omega Therapeutics, uh, what what's the best way for them to do that? So, uh, I mean, uh, there we have a website, omegatherapeutics.com, uh, that outlines everything. You know, we are on uh, LinkedIn, we are on Twitter. Um, you know, definitely would love to talk about Omega Therapeutics if our listeners want to learn more. All right. Thank you so much. Um, and to our listeners, let me say, Thank you all so much for joining us today. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com and be sure to follow our show on Twitter at SFM Business. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 